Hello, I'm Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a programme about globalisation and the effects it has had on Ireland and other countries around the world over the last 50 years or so. In each programme we interview a person from another country or with a strong connection to another country to get their unique perspective on globalisation as it has affected them, the country they live in and its relationship with the wider world. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience both from me and from my interviewees from around the world. In recent programs, we visited many countries around the world, including the US, Mexico, Croatia, Spain, Poland and Germany. Today, we're coming back much closer to home to talk with a Wexford man living in the United Kingdom. Dr. Edward Sweeney is Professor of Logistics and Systems at Aston University in Birmingham in the UK. Logistics and systems are at the core of the modern globalised economy and underpin those mysterious entities called supply chains that we have all begun to hear so much about lately in the media in connection with the debates around Brexit. And it's very pertinent that we should be talking to an authority on that subject today, an Irishman living and working in the heart of England as Brexit Day, 29th of March, rapidly approaches. Edward has been Professor of Logistics and Systems at Aston University since January 2014. Prior to that, Edward was the Director of the National Institute for Transport and Logistics, NITL, at the Dublin Institute of Technology from 2007 to 2014 and was Head of Education and Training at NITL uh, from 1998 to 2007. Edward has also held full-time academic postings at the University of Warwick in the UK and the University of Technology in Malaysia, as well as being visiting professor at Italy's National Research Council in Rome and has authored over 200 publications including books and papers in international peer-reviewed academic journals. Edward and I have known each other since his time with NITL here in Dublin back in the 90s and our interests have coincided and overlapped on many fronts including engineering, supply chain management, systems thinking and globalisation and I'm delighted to be speaking to Edward again today and welcome him on the line from Birmingham. Welcome Ed and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you very much for having me, Patrick. It's great to have you, Edward. Uh, you're head. You're currently head of the logistics and systems department at Aston University in the UK. What are the key areas of interest and activity uh, at the department and the uh, logistics and systems institute that I know is there as well in terms of teaching, research, and, and publication? Well, I, I, I guess, Patrick, we have really three main uh, areas of activity. Uh, as you would expect in a university, the education remit is, is perhaps the single most important one. And uh, we run a combination of both full-time uh, education programs really aimed at uh, undergraduate programs aimed at school leavers and postgraduate programs aimed primarily at fairly recent graduates. Uh, with, in most cases, fairly limited practical experience. So on the undergraduate side, we have a suite of programs uh, in the logistics area with specialisms in procurement, integrated supply chain management and transport. Uh, we also have a very interesting program as part of our undergraduate portfolio, which is a Bachelor of Science in Business and Supply Chain Management. And this is interesting because it's one we uh, co-designed with uh, an organization called the Novus Trust. And the Novus Trust is a consortium of about 30 or 40 companies, uh, including most of the big sort of third-party logistics operators, uh, several retailers, and a number of manufacturers. And what all of these companies had in common was they were finding it difficult 
uh, to find graduates that were kind of ready to ready to hit the ground running, if you like. So we, we, we've developed this really interesting new program in collaboration with with those companies, and it, it's 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 got a number of interesting features uh, in that all of the students uh, have a mentor from one of those senior companies appointed to them for the full duration of their studies. They have guaranteed paid work experience during the summer vacations. Uh, and indeed, uh, they have, and this is the eye-watering part, really, they have um, a guaranteed job on completion oh, of the great. Always helps. So, it's like, so uh, to a large extent, we're, we're using this, really, uh, as a way of trying to attract uh, really good talent uh, into the logistics and supply chain profession. But, I mean, in terms of... Um, the other aspect of our education remit is very much about work-based learning. So we, we run, for example, a foundation degree in logistics, which is uh, aimed at people who have significant working experience but don't necessarily have anything in terms of formal uh, academic or professional qualifications. And as you know yourself very well, Patrick, um, in Ireland and the UK, uh, the logistics industry in particular uh, has, has, has really... T- thousands, tens of thousands of people who fall into that sort of category. Yeah. And uh, we, we, I've spent most of the weekend actually teaching a cohort uh, on another interesting program, which is an MSc program in supply chain leadership and management. And this is really aimed at sort of mid-career practitioners who've been identified by their companies as the next generation of, of, of sort of supply chain leaders. So, so you know, we see it very much as a kind of brief ground for the leaders in supply chain management in the future. And your undergraduate and postgraduate students, are they very international in their provenance? Uh, good question. It's interesting with our full-time students, for for example, we run a very successful long-standing full-time one-year intensive MSc program in supply chain management and that attracts primarily uh, international students. Uh, so about 80% of our students are non-EU students uh, and they come from China, they come from from India, they come from Latin America, uh, they come from Africa, as well as coming of course from from, from various other parts of Europe. Our work-based programs, because of the way in which they're set up, uh, are deliberately aimed at uh, people working in industry in the UK, so weekend-based delivery and so on. Mm. So it tends to attract... We, We do, we do have one or two students from other European countries, but primarily those part-time programs are aimed at uh, a local audience. Okay. It's interesting that the name of your department is Logistics and Systems. And when mm. most people hear the word systems, they automatically think of IT. Uh, but I suspect that what we're talking about here is something different, more along the lines of systems thinking. So what is systems thinking? What insights can it provide for business? And how is it different from conventional approaches the thinking about business. Well, it, incidentally, first of all, Patrick, your suspicion is completely correct. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting when I introduce myself as being from the Aston Logistics and Systems Institute, you're completely right that a lot of people immediately assume that this is about enabling technologies and all, all of that. But it's not. It's about systems thinking. I mean, to me, systems thinking is is, is, is very simple at one level, conceptually, because it's really about doing things in a much more joined up way than perhaps we, we have done in the past. So to me, it's about 
uh, a shift from traditional approaches, which were often characterized by high levels of fragmentation, towards um, approaches which are characterized much more by integration. Uh, a, a key thing, I, I suppose, a key word uh, in this context, Patrick, is the word holistic. You know, it's mm-hmm. about recognizing that the whole needs to be greater than the sum of the parts. Um, it's it's about that shift from sort of traditional silo-based approaches to doing things to, 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 like I say, much more joined up and integrated approaches. And I think that's really important um, in, in, in 2019 because um, complexity, in, in, in a sense, is, is, is everywhere. Uh, and unless we, we, we have a joined up way of dealing with that complexity, uh, it's impossible, I think, to create business models that will genuinely add value from a customer point of view. I I suppose another manifestation of that is like a lot of our work is about this sort of classic shift which you Patrick as a supply chain professional will recognize as the shift away from sort of a focus on functions towards a focus on processes which which do truly add value from a customer point of view. Yeah, and I guess systems thinking grew out of the way business is changing from kind of companies that did everything in-house to companies that now outsource or subcontract, and then especially when they go, they work over international uh, borders, uh, and it's given rise to this concept of of supply chains. So, from your point of view, what are supply chains, and how is it that right now they seem to have emerged from obscurity uh, to become a hot topic among journalists and politicians in the Brexit debates, something that we never really heard of before in the popular media at least. Well, I, I, I guess one of the interesting things, Patrick, is that supply chains are all around us. Uh, they're everywhere. We depend on them uh, daily. Uh, we all work as part of supply chains in one sense. Um, but the interesting thing is that most supply chains end up being invisible to us. So it's almost like they're everywhere, but they're nowhere. And the interesting thing is they often only become visible when something goes wrong. Yeah. So that, like we, we, we've had a couple of classic examples of that dur- during the last year or so um, here in the UK, I guess the most high profile one in the media was about um, Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, restaurants running out of chicken. I mean, really, the point I was making is that uh, supply chains really uh, are in- invisible to us most of the time, and they tend only to become visible when something goes wrong. So uh, I think I mentioned the example of Kentucky Fried Chicken running out of yeah, chicken, yeah. Uh, us running out of carbon dioxide in the middle of the World Cup um, in, in during a very warm summer, so so thereby um, compromising supply of, of soft drinks. And, and, and beer, and, most importantly. Beer, yeah, very importantly. <laughs> Um, and I, I, I think I got on to say something about, about Brexit, really, because I think in your question, Patrick, you specifically made a reference to Brexit. Yeah, and, the, fact, uh, the fact that people like journalists and politicians who we never heard of them talking about supply chains before now, um, every other politician and journalist is talking about supply chains and the likely impact uh, of Brexit upon them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, I, I guess it's an example of, of something negative happening, which puts our profession uh, in, into the um, limelight. And uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me because one of the pieces of work we do uh, in our institute is we, we just monitor uh, the extent 
to which the word logistics on the phrase supply chain is used in the media. Uh, and over the last two and a half years in the UK media, we've seen a massive uh, jump in that. Uh, and, y y you know, I guess it's not surprising because we talk about things like frictionless trade. We're talking about the customs union and what that means. And it is the supply chain profession that's very much in the vanguard uh, of all of these things, really. So it's, it, 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 in a sense, um, Brexit, whilst it's created a huge amount of uncertainty and, and is creating a huge amount of volatility, it certainly has put our profession centre stage. Uh, and, you know, we, we find ourselves, for, for example, being uh, invited to um, contribute to, to mass media events. To We've been invited to contribute to a lot of policy-making events, both locally and nationally, and indeed at European level. And that's something that probably wouldn't have happened uh, yeah. without Brexit. So it's not doing our profession any harm in that sense. Uh, it's making well, in that sense, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Th there are lots of other uh, negativities, of course, which we, we, we probably will move on to talk about. But, um, you know, certainly in terms of visibility of the profession, um, it, it, it probably has helped in terms of um, increasing uh, our profile, uh, both in terms of the general public uh, and indeed in terms of, of the business operations of, of many organizations. And the supply chains that the economy, the modern economy is made up of, and we spoke about their complexity, and we spoke mm. about systems thinking to try to get a handle on um, uh, that particular complexity. And out of that has emerged uh, a discipline uh, called supply chain management, or a, a suite of tools and so on to deal with this. W what is exactly supply chain management, and why is it so essential? Why is it such an essential competence today's world, where these where companies have transformed from being vertically integrated, as they used to be, to being more um, uh, parts, cogs in a, in a giant network? Well, I mean, supply chain management, uh, as the name implies, is, is of, of course, about the management of, of the supply chain. And the supply chain, I guess, we can define in various ways. We can think of a supply chain as being a network of different companies. Uh, we can also think of a supply chain as being a network of different process, processes, buying stuff, making stuff, moving stuff, and selling stuff. I mean, we, we, we define supply chain management in terms of what we refer to as the um, four fundamentals of, of supply chain management. The first of these is about making sure we have clarity around our objectives, which, which traditionally has been about the optimization of total supply chain costs and investment, as well as making sure that we at least meet, if not exceed, customer service uh, expectations in, in targeted market segments. And increasingly, we're needing to add to that cost service mix. Uh, a third objective, which is very much around sustainability, including environmental sustainability. The second piece is, is very much about integration, going back to what we talked about previously in terms of systems thinking. So if you ask me really what what is the big idea of contemporary supply chain management, the big idea really is about doing things in a more integrated fashion. Um, the question then becomes, how can we do that? And, and that's the third element which is really about managing the key flow systems 
uh, material flow management, managing all of the associated information flows, and this is really where advanced information technology plays a key role. Uh, and of course, it's about managing the the flows of money upstream and downstream. And and, and the final bit, which in in a sense is is the most difficult bit, is the bit which says, well, if you're serious about replacing fragmentation with more integrated approaches, for many organisations that requires a, a, a really fairly radical reappraisal of the way in which relationships work. So it's it's customer supplier relationships, both internally inside the four walls of a business, as well as the relationships between companies that comprise the wider supply chain. Uh, so you know we talk a lot about sort of shifts from from sort of confrontational approaches, which which perhaps were a characteristic of traditionally fragmented supply chains, towards much more collaborative approaches uh, and and the adoption of partnership type models and so on. So to me um, this is important in any business at a strategic and an operational level but it has become more and more important for two reasons. One is that supply chains have become much more global in complexion uh, and that hasn't happened by accident of course, that has happened because of the changing uh, structures in terms of international economic and, and, and business structures but secondly it's happened because of this process that I think you referred to as sort of vertically vertical disintegration. So um, companies really concentrating on what they believe to be their core competencies, uh, outsourcing a lot of stuff which they deem to be non-core, uh, and, and in a sense what we've tried to do is to replace the old-fashioned logic which was very much about control through ownership with a logic which is much more about control through relationship management and, and control through the management of collaborative interfaces. I, I often say to clients uh, and at presentations and events where I get to speak that all companies are part of supply chains but not all companies are doing supply chain management. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and I think this is most notably because they often don't get this systems thinking bit, this integration bit or the relationship uh, element of supply chain management. So how can business people familiarise themselves more with this kind of approach through books, papers, courses, etc. What would you recommend to an SME owner or manager in that regard? Well, I think it's very interesting what you say because um, very often a lot of the sort of published case studies and examples of of good supply chain management practice tend to revolve around very big global companies. And an experience that I've often had, which I'm, I'm sure you have too, Patrick, is a lot of small companies will come back to me and say, well, that's all very well for Toyota or for Apple or for for some other um, large uh, organization, but really what has it got to do with me? And I mean, our our experience has been very much about uh, doing doing two or three things. One, trying to make sure that smaller companies understand where they sit in the supply chain. So we we, we do a lot of work with, with smaller companies, really just trying to help them to map the supply chain of which they're part. Secondly, I think a lot of it is about education and, and, and training and at least developing some awareness of what systems thinking is about. And one of the things that we've tried to focus on in, in, in Aston University is uh, developing sort of uh, case studies and examples of good practice which specifically uh, involve uh, SMEs centrally. And, and that, that's hugely important because... I mean, as you as you know better than anyone, Patrick, um, 
SMEs form the backbone, really, of, of, of all of our supply chains. Yep. Um, you know, 90% of the companies that, that, that exist uh, are SMEs. So um, um, unless, really, we, 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 we can uh, embed that sort of thinking in smaller companies, we end up with, with uh, a potential problem. Um, another interesting, the, the final interesting dimension on, on, on this, which we come across quite a lot, is it relates really to this idea of the digital divide, you know, because we've seen a lot of the big companies and supply chains power ahead, invest massively in technology to, to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of what they're doing. Uh, we, we find with, with smaller companies that, um, the first of all, the, the level of, of, of awareness of what technology is out there is often somewhat limited. It's a big challenge for a lot of SMEs to simply stay abreast of very rapidly changing technology. And even if they can do that, uh, the whole sort of decision-making process about which technology to invest in, which technology vendor to work with, and so on, is a, is a very big one and, and the challenging uh, issue for a lot of small companies. So our, our research is pointing to a sort of digital divide between the big players and the small players. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, you know, we, we recognize in supply chain management um, thinking, of course, that the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So, you know, if, 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 if because of this digital divide, we end up with weak links among the SMEs, that's clearly something that we need to address as a matter of agency. So, one of the things that we do uh, at Aston, and I think it's it's something where universities can can potentially play a pivotal role as a kind of honest broker is, we, we you know we can introduce small companies to technology through some of the work that we do as part of our technology demonstration uh, activity, and and the idea of that really is to make sure that when technology investment decisions are being made, they're done so in as informed a way as is possible. That's really interesting and, and I'll ask you at the end maybe to give people some pointers as to where they can find out more about that through con contacting you sure. and the and the institute at uh, Aston University. Just coming back to in relation to, to yourself personally, you've now been living and working in the UK for about five years. Uh, in that time then what differences and similarities have you encountered between life and work in the UK as compared to your previous experience here in Ireland? Uh, it's interesting and I, th I, th I think, I mean, every every country is different uh, I, I would I would say actually probably much more by way of similarity than difference uh, when I worked in the Far East on a full-time basis I saw much bigger differences in terms of business culture in that part of the world mm -hmm. um, when I worked in Italy uh, uh, 15 years ago again I saw very very big differences uh, you, you know in a sense probably the biggest single difference is that it's bigger here. Uh, you know very well in Ireland, for example, in the supply chain community, because we're a small country, everybody kind of knows everybody else. Yeah. Uh, because relationships are such an important uh, part of supply chain management, that probably is a big advantage in a relatively small country. Um, 
I, I, I think on a on a um, perhaps a, a more human level, um, I, th- I think working in Ireland is probably more sociable. You, you, you know, we, yeah. we 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 enjoyed each other's company and we chew the cut over a couple of beers on a Friday night, and <laughs> that tends to happen a little bit less here. But you know, I, I I don't see huge differences really in terms of the business culture between the two islands. And when you arrived there in 2014, it was about two and a half years before the Brexit referendum. So w- what have you noticed in the evolution and the way people in the UK think about their relationship with the rest of the European Union, say before the referendum, during the time of the referendum, and now up to the, you know, the crunch point that's coming up quite soon? I think um, we, we certainly have seen an evolution. Uh, I think what the um, referendum uh, demonstrated um, is that we actually have a very, very divided society here. We have a very divided body politic uh, here in the UK on this issue. Uh, I guess particularly within the Conservative Party, uh, this has been a sort of fault line going back 40 years. Uh, and I, I, I think um, we, we've seen evidence uh, of, of differences of opinion between different parts of the country. We've seen evidences of, of differences of opinion between people from different backgrounds and so on. Uh, I mean, as, as an eternal optimist, uh, what I'm hoping uh, is that now that the reality uh, of Brexit is beginning to dawn and the shape of what Brexit actually looks like is beginning to become a little bit clearer, maybe some more common sense will begin to prevail. Um, however, when we look at most of the opinion polling information, uh, it would appear that um, there's been very little shift in terms of um, public opinion uh, over the last uh, couple of years. Where there has been a shift, it's, it, it, it appears to have been very much at the fringes. And I, I, I must admit that that has surprised me greatly because, you know, we we in our profession have, have, have been trying to make the public more aware of some of the big difficulties that Brexit will inevitably create, particularly the, uh, the, the crashing out no deal hard Brexit. Uh, and this isn't project fear. Uh, the, 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 these are real things which, which, which people in the profession are, are genuinely and legitimately concerned about. So uh, it's, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see how the next few weeks and indeed the next few months pan out. But I mean, the biggest, the biggest single uh, emotion I, I, I think is, 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 is really around uncertainty. I mean, amongst the business community with which I uh, engage on a daily basis, basis. It's that uncertainty really which is is the biggest single problem at the moment, I think. Yeah, making it difficult to manage, difficult to plan, difficult to invest and so on. Yeah, when, when it's, when it's uh, you, uh, you know, when it's difficult to, to plan uh, ahead, um, and we see evidence of this, investment tends to stall. Uh, when investments stalls, that inevitably will, will have an impact on economic rate growth as we look over the next uh, two or three years and, and beyond. Um, yeah. So that's all quite worrying, really. <laughs> and maybe then on a on a lighter note. So when you're not working, teaching, researching, and writing, what do you like to do in your free time? Uh, I uh, I'm a big um, uh, lover of, of the arts and uh, classical music in in particular and opera music even more particularly. Uh, I like traveling. I, I I travel a lot for work. Um, 
this month I've, I've already been to Singapore, Hong Kong, Switzerland, Germany and uh, having had a break in Ireland over, over Christmas wow. um, and I, I like sport, especially rugby so just before Christmas it was nice to be back in Dublin and watch um, uh, watch Leinster playing uh, European rugby so that, that, that was good fun And remind me again of the soccer team that you support Oh, um, I don't think I support any soccer team really. Um, there's a small, there's a small football team in North East London called Leighton Orient, which, I, one, you, to, which you like to rib me about. Okay, uh, it's it's a club to which I was introduced um, about twenty years ago, uh, and I, I'd actually I'd actually fallen out of love with football at the time, but Orient helped me to to get to enjoy it again. Uh, interesting place. And you continue to ma- maintain a strong connection with your hometown, uh, Wexford. I know you're involved with the Wexford Opera Festival. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what's going to happen there in 2019? Are you aware? Oh, yes. I mean, it's it, it, this is fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm a friend of Wexford Opera Festival, but um, it, it's incredible because um, this year is the 68th year, I, I think, of this festival. And how it's made a name for itself is each year it resurrects very rarely produced works, sometimes by well-known composers, sometimes not. So so this year is no different to previous years. So we, we have one opera sung in German by uh, von Weber. Uh, we have a second uh, opera sung in French by Massenet, and there's a very interesting double bill this year on the main stage, which involves uh, two operas, both sung in Italian, one by Rossini, and the other one, very interestingly, by the Irish composer Andrew Sennett, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the royal premiere of an opera called La Cucina. So um, that that kind of couple of weeks in, in Wexford at the end of uh, October into November is is the first thing that goes into my diary every every year. <laughs> And this year will be no different. Sounds wonderful. So thank you so much, Ed, for being here with us today. It's been really fascinating to get your perspective as an Irishman and as, a, as an academic uh, with a unique perspective on the UK at, at this particular point in its history as it prepares for Brexit. Brexit. So just to finish up for, for listeners who may be interested either academically or professionally in the topics that we've discussed, how can they find more about you, about your work, about your research and publications? You know, things like your LinkedIn profile website book titles and so on sure um you can you can find a lot of information at the aston university website so that's www.aston.ac.uk and you can search from there for logistics uh, related uh, activities and indeed under my name uh, I'm fairly active in LinkedIn, uh, very active on Twitter, uh, and indeed for more scholarly output, um, uh, web resources like ResearchGate and indeed Google Scholar uh, are good sources of information in terms of publications uh, and such like. It's wonderful, Ed. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you again, as always, and uh, look forward to seeing you again in the not too distant future. And likewise, Patrick, and thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. Bye-bye for now.